Pod Boys Productions. All right, welcome back to Movies Are Relevant on Brooklyn Rebound Network with your boy Pod Drew over here. It is 20 damn 20. It's a new decade. We broke another decade off in this bitch, and nothing's changed in terms of me watching a lot of films, though, between the decades. Caught up on some ones from last year and caught up on some from last decade that uh, I've been meaning to watch, and we're going to talk about all of that sort of thing. But, of course, I have to bring in my boy, E-Nam over there to discuss with me. How are you doing, E-Nam? Doing all right, doing all right. Happy to be here. You know I love talking about movies, and you know I love hearing myself talk. That is true. That's something we both share. <laughs> and maybe not no, no one else, but... <laughs> You know what, Edeshnam, uh, of course, my nickname for you uh, being uh, your real name, Eric, of course, but when we've done our NFL shows, which we basically tailed off on, but uh, when we have d- done those in the past, you always threw in a, a nice little nickname, you know, referential to something, and then uh, usually referential to something in the NFL news at the time. And I'm wondering if you want to pick that up with a uh, movie style here going forward. Yeah, we can call me Young Preferential Ballot. Young preferential. That'll work for me. Now, did you choose the word preferential because I just said the word referential and it rhymes? No, no, that's the way they do Oscar voting. So you pick... I get that, I get that. You number them one through ten? I do. I'm just saying, uh, it's not young. Uh, okay, I was, I was going to try to think of what the uh, what the girl dies from in Little Women, but I, I'm blanking on the... Digit. Young Scarlet Fever. <laughs> young oh, Scarlet Fever. spoilers. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I guess that one's dark. But yeah, so the plan for this episode... Uh, last episode, if you haven't uh, listened to the movies show here, go back and do so. It was a good one, I think. But we talked a lot of like of uh, 2019 films. Um, and we did our, kind of our top five at the time. Now, there was a couple we hadn't seen yet, a couple of big 2019 movies we hadn't seen yet, especially you hadn't seen a few of the big ones, which you've caught up on. I've seen a few more. So we'll, we'll uh, check back in on 2019 a little bit and more recent films. But for the general... Uh, theme of the pod today we're gonna talk some films that we had been meaning to catch up on from the last decade it's, it's a, a good opportunity since it's the start of a new one to uh basically yeah something you've been meaning to watch and you just never get around to it for whatever reason sit down watch it we both did that with at least one film i might have got carried away and did a, a, a list of them but uh, we'll probably just stick to one or two each year but yeah we're gonna talk about some of those ones we caught up on from the last decade and see how they tie into some of the other newer films as well. I think there's going to be some tie-in. But let's let's get right into it. How's your, let me ask you this, how's your top five, uh, and we did call it a tentative top five in the last episode, has yours changed uh, since then? Yes. So I don't know that I'm willing to push out Midsommar, which I think I had it fourth, but okay. I believe that I have to move something out. Let's see, I think, well, I'm trying to uh, remember what your top five was. I believe it was... So... We both had Parasite 1, and and we both had, I believe, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood 2, is that right? Uh, yes, and then my three to five was Irishman, Midsommar, and Marriage Story. One of those has to go, because Lil' Women is probably one of the best five movies I saw this year. 
It's very good. Okay, and that's one we had both seen since last time. Yeah. yeah well, and we're going to talk about that a little more extensively in this episode as well. Yeah, so you're putting... I mean, Marriage Story, is that what you would uh, probably slide out? Yeah, that or Midsommar, and I'm not sure which one. Okay. And I have seen Marriage Story as well since we... That was one of the ones I hadn't caught up on yet, which I now have. We talked about I had some... I, I've just generally had some aversions to Noah Baumbach, even though I've liked some of his films... There's just little things about it that bug me. And this was kind of in that vein, I guess, my marriage story. I did enjoy it overall. I thought it was, the acting was fantastic. And it was... Wasn't it? Moving, you know, a lot of scenes were moving to me. But, you know, just the... I was going to say, like, if he just made the, the divorce, you know, a couple not be Hollywood, like, play people, you know, New York, L.A., all this stuff. And just more regular people. But then, you know, a lot of the specifics would be out the window. That's probably, you know, makes the film good in some ways. But just, like, the whole... I don't... You know what I mean, though? Just, like, these type of people think... Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, but it is also personal to the director uh, and writer. So it's hard to say, like, what he could have lost. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he made... His stand-in was the Adam Driver character, obviously, which he made... Broadway director instead of a you know film director like he is, but you know it was still too, I don't know it was just still too much for me that way. Yeah. Even though like I said I did enjoy it overall, but I can see. I mean him and his his woman Gerwig both get a certain amount of flack. I feel for being super white, I guess, or for lack of a better term, or or just like. A kind of upper middle class white uh, sensibility that people want to see different stories, I guess, uh, things like that. I'm, I'm much more of a fan of Greta Gerwig's um, movies so far, even though she has less, obviously. And then some of the Baumbach ones I've liked the most are, are co-written by her. But yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like the the two that she's made without him are maybe better than any of the ones that he made without her. And possibly, they almost certainly, some of the ones that he made with her. She's a genius on like a on a certain order, and he's a great filmmaker. Yeah, but like I said, they they get some whether it's deserved or not. They've been getting some. There's a certain sentiment that like yeah, I don't know uh, of just like I guess <laughs> too being too white or something or you know like first world problems shit. Yeah, I I get that. I just like these movies are fantastic and cutting and brilliant. Yeah, and it even he even referenced it a little bit in Marriage Story when there was a scene with the judge when they're in court hashing it out um, with, like, Ray Liotta versus Laura Dern where the judge is, like, says something to the effect of, like, you, there's, uh, and they're showing the other people in the court waiting for their turn. Like, the judge is like, you clearly have a lot of more, what's the word, a lot more resources than most of these people or whatever. So I think that was, like, yeah. kind of a reference to everything, but it's not enough, I guess, to, for me, so I, I don't know. But again, like I said, it's if he changed it too much from his own experience, then it does lose a lot of probably a lot of the the humor that is derived from specific um, things. You know, specificity is always good for the most. Yeah, part. for sure. And not just the humor, but also the the drama as well. Anyway, yeah. So I caught up on that one. Like I said, we both caught up on Little Women, which we'll we'll talk a little bit more about in a few minutes. But Whew. one that you hadn't seen. That was my, I believe, my number third slot, and I had just seen it, so it was super fresh 
uh, and our, during our last record was Uncut Gems. Now, that's super fresh for you, right? You just saw that as of yesterday or something? Yeah, yeah. I watched it last night. It's great. I don't know that it cracks my top five, but it might be my sixth favorite movie from last year. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, did, did you want to... Um, I don't remember exactly what I said about it last time. I mean, I kind of do, but I, I think I was probably not going too much into detail since you hadn't seen it yet. I guess we could get into more a, a few more specifics now maybe since we've both seen it um obviously spoilers to anyone who hasn't yet you can skip ahead a few minutes but yeah so super uh, nba heavy obviously right yeah 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 with kg and everything it, and just the it shows how being addicted to gambling is is a, obviously a very bad thing and it could be super uh, detrimental to your your health and welfare and and, and it's kind of the Safety Brothers thing of, like, what seems to be their main thing. Um, someone that has a problem that affects their life completely, they can't really shake it, and it just drives them further and further into, you know, down in the hole, basically. And then even when there's elements where, or there's things that happen where they get out of, like, the problem... They just double back down on it after that, and they can't. And then it, you, as the audience member, are like, "No, don't do this," you know, sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. And I actually saw another film I'd been meaning. I didn't really know too much about this one, so I I won't maybe put it on one of the ones that like I've been meaning to watch for a long time and never got around to it. But it was a film from last decade that I caught up on as well since our last podcast was, uh, the Safety Brothers film called Heaven Can Wait, I believe it's called, from I think 2013 or 14. Yeah. That one has the, uh, the main character is a heroin addict who has kind of like an abusive kind of boyfriend guy. He's the, um, he's an actor that was, uh, in a bunch of movies a few years ago. He was like in every movie. He was in, um, Three Billboards. He was Willem Dafoe's son in the Florida Project. He's kind of a grimy looking guy. He was in the what what's his name? Sam Rockwell. Oh no no no! Uh, this guy's like Caleb Jones or something. I think is his name. Um, so he's the boyfriend guy in it, who's an addict as well. He's uh, obviously a real actor, but most of the other characters, including the main, uh, the main uh, you know actress in the film, is like the Safety Brothers type of thing of like a real person basically, and like this girl really was like a heroin addict in New York and all this stuff. And so it, it's a little more, it doesn't have quite the drive, the driving, like the pulsing narrative thrust of Good Time and Uncut Gems, but it still is, you know, pretty similar into that vein of like, yes, a self-destructive person in a super realistic kind of environment in New York, basically. Um, but anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in. That's, that's a recommend for me as well. Uh, Heaven Can Wait, but... Uh, you should watch that one too. But yeah, but back to Uncut Gems though. Kind of things I talked about already, I guess, but the the downward spiral and, you know, there's just the kind of things that they throw in of like what seems like real people basically or like that are just like on the screen. I mean, Uncut Gems is a little different because it obviously has KG who, who is real playing himself, but you know, it has more high status characters in it i guess including like that of sandler character, yeah like, yeah successful but even though he's in you know um leads to it he's messing it up for himself but it still has like you know all the people that like come up to sandler a lot and stuff like uh those old, older kind of guys that are bothering him there's just like um real looking people basically a lot of those guys are just like random new york weirdos that the safties just like 
have met producing their other movies the fucking the rich guy at the end who keeps trying to sleep with julia fox which by the way julia fox hello she is a fox am i right now but yeah um yeah she's very pretty yeah and she also apparently was like a, a, a new york club kid and like was this is her first movie yeah yeah just like not a real actor even though she did a good job i thought yeah, they get these good performances out of non-actors, basically, and Keiji as well. Like, a lot of those people, um, I've heard in interviews, like, those are people that they just know from, from seeing, like, that that guy is just a guy that they met in a bar or something, just, like, complaining about how he has too much money to spend. But the twins, the, like, really gross-looking twins that bother Howie a couple times during the movie, those are just guys they know. And, of course, the god Mike Francesa. Yeah, Fred Seska being, uh, being the book, yeah, I guess. And those guys that you were just mentioning, it's funny, too, because, like, in the movie itself, you would expect it to come to something, but it doesn't really, like, they're just kind of really in there for, no. for like, seasoning, basically. Yeah, which is kind of a theme of the whole movie, right? Everything is happening at this breakneck pace, but almost nothing happens. And to the extent that something happens, it obviously... I, to avoid completely spoiling everything it all comes to nothing yeah i don't know i thought it was really well like well constructed just great i mean it's just it's so tense yeah it's one of those movies that's just like gnawing on your scalp the whole time like what the fuck's gonna happen what the fuck's gonna happen their particular brilliance is that almost nothing is happening it's the same with good time and um daddy long legs and yeah with the with that guy i did you, you said everything comes to nothing which is kind of true but I kind of expected the guy, the casino guy, to, like, steal the money at the end. And then it was going to be, like, no one even gets it. You know? Oh, yeah. It's, like, all completely for not. But that's not what happened. I guess the girl, Julia Fox character, just takes it, I guess, or whatever. Her character's name is Julia. Is it? Okay. Yeah, at least she ends up with something. Yeah, so I guess that, that was a little unexpected. I was, like, trying, I was, like, predicting that then, but it didn't happen. And I don't even know if that guy w really was actually trying to sleep with her, because it didn't really, like, he was obviously hitting on her, but then she does go to his hotel room, he doesn't really try to do anything. Yeah. I don't know, like, it's just, like, another weird... We're talking more about the tangential characters, I guess, but... Well, so much of the movie is those random people. Were you surprised that the guy after him was, was his, like, brother-in-law? Like, that's the reveal midway through the movie, yeah. Yeah, that was a thorough shock. And then it colors, you know, everything else that happens from then on. Yeah, so, like, what is this family? Like, you know, like, what's going on here? Yeah. Of course, he's, that guy's in way over his head as well, it turns out, with the people he's dealing with. So, yeah. So, yeah, Uncut Gems. I think it would still be in my... Uh, none of the movies I've seen since our record would, I don't think, would replace what I have already. Interesting. Even though I did like Little Women a lot, and, and we'll talk about it in just a minute, even though I've said that a few times now. But I did also see, just this past weekend, I saw Once Upon a, a Time in Hollywood a second time yeah. in the theater. Um, it's still playing here in L.A. at Quentin Tarantino's own theater, um, the new Beverly. It's still playing every weekend but since it came out. And like talking NBA and stuff, you know, we, I just touched on it because of Uncut Gems, NBA happens a lot. Um, Obviously, um, the news about Kobe Bryant, you know, broke this, um, you know, a couple of days ago as of our record here. And me and Inam did it, recorded something about that that should be out on the feed now as well. So just a plug for that, even though it's not really the type of episode that you want to plug necessarily. It's like more of a, um, mm, you know, yeah. memorial type of thing, basically. But just to say, you know, I was like in, I don't know, I was just in a mood of like, kind of wanting to get away from, 
the Kobe news and go get lost in a movie type of thing. So like I went and saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again, and that's like kind of like that was kind of like the perfect antidote of literally getting lost back in a super specific world at another time, basically. And you know, at the end of that, like a more how it's changed to be like a more positive thing than what really happened. So, but seeing that again, I don't know. I guess I would still have Parasite at number one because that really just blew me away and like everything in that movie is like kind of like perfect clockwork but I think if you differentiate between best movie of the year and favorite movie or one I'm going to come back to the most or whatever yeah I'd probably have to give it to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood really I really liked that movie and I remember on our last podcast you specifically mentioned that the sequence with the Rolling Stones song out of time and for whatever reason, that one didn't that didn't hit me that much. I guess the first time I watched it, and even when you were talking about it, I wasn't wasn't completely clicking for me. Well, what is happening during that moment and everything? But seeing that again, that sequence, which is kind of like a montage after like leading basically from the second to the third act of the film. Yeah, man, that that hit me real hard this time. It's such a great needle drop. I didn't cry, but yeah, I was like getting emotional. And it's so perfect. I didn't really think about this either, but maybe I did at the time and just forgot. But it literally, the song is out of time. And in real life, if that was played on that that day in history, like th- that was yep. Tate and her friends, they were literally out of time. It's the last day of their life. And obviously in the film, they... And also the 60s, yeah. the entire 60s. <laughs> in the film, they changed that, but yeah, it's just perfect. And yeah, everything, the whole film again, seeing it a second time. Uh, and I'm glad I saw it in the theater again the second time. Basically, everything worked even better the second time. So, yeah, recommend watching that again if you've seen it once. But let's talk Little Women. Uh, since we might have a longer talk, I mean, is there anything else you want to throw in that you've seen since? Um, I saw The Lighthouse. I really liked it. Oh, right. You hadn't seen that last time either. I liked it a bit less than, you know, the rest of the movies we've been talking about. But um, I get it. it. It was for me. Yeah. Did you... What did you think about that compared to the Vavitch? I don't know... Okay. So the actors in the actors in the in the, the Vovich are um, more amateur, like le- I mean, less like well known and practiced actors than some of the ones he got for than the two that he got for the Lighthouse. Yeah, only only two basically. <laughs> um, and I think that really helped Lighthouse. But, I uh, yeah. Well, yeah, the one actor from the Vovich is the. Uh... What crazy Aunt Liza from Game of Thrones. Right, right. <laughs> Who has the seven-year-old sucking on her titty. But yes, I, I, obviously there were... And I think that works because those characters in the Vovich were from a time period when people were kind of more anonymous and, like, it, just how that film goes with, like... It, it makes more sense to have non-name actors, basically, to me, whereas The Lighthouse is really a two-hander. You kind of need... A little bit of star power essentially i think yeah and those people have been in other like films but they're not like yeah. willem dafoe right and i think the main the main actress from that is kind of a bigger name actress now but like that was one of her first movies anya taylor joy I believe yeah she's been a lot of stuff since then she's in a like decent teenage narcissism movie called thoroughbreds that i liked a bit Yes, I've seen that as well. Uh, my my brother actually recommended me to watch that one the other year, and uh, that was a good rec from him. Yeah, that, that's good. The other main actress from that is... Isn't that Judd Apatow's daughter? Isn't that Maude Apatow? Mm, no, no. Okay, no. okay. Uh, she's a British actress. 
Maybe they both are. I can't remember if Anya Taylor-Joy is British or American, but the other one from Thoroughbreds, she's um, really good too. I've seen her in a couple of things since then also. The one who's more of like the psychopath one. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so yeah, Lighthouse you caught up on, so that's good. I did see 1917, which was fine. I, I didn't love it. So that's going to win Best Picture. It seems that way, I guess. And you didn't like it more than Parasite. That's what I'm hearing. Oh no, not even, no, definitely not even close. I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't crack, it wouldn't crack my top ten of yeah of twenty nineteen. I guess it would maybe crack the top twenty, but at that point, you're going pretty deep. It was there were some good sequences. Like it doesn't seem like a dog shit film, but like Parasite's the one of the best five movies I've ever seen. Yeah, the plot was just not there. I mean, it, it's really the nineteen seventeen is basically a, a technical achievement, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And it's it is interesting to see a World War One movie when usually it's World War Two. Sure. But overall, yeah, I don't think it was anything amazing. I don't think it was better than Dunkirk, which is which is World War Two, but it had some similarities to Dunkirk from a few years ago. Dunkirk's really good. And if if it wasn't, you know, at that standard, I don't think it deserves to win Best Picture. Um, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I caught up on that. I still want to see. Portrait of a Woman on Fire or Lady on Fire. Yeah, that's on my list. It's, like, not playing. Even in L.A., I don't know when it's supposed to actually come out on... Or even have a screener online or whatever. So, I, I still... That's the one main one um, I still want to see. Well, they didn't run for anything. I just saw Instagram ads. Like, it may have been, like, Angelica here. But I only saw Instagram ads and then never saw it playing. I think it just hasn't really got a, a wider even hardly even a limited a regular limited release yet so i assume that's coming but anyway um i think that kind of killed its award potential whatever happened with that but yeah so i want to catch up on that but yeah let's let's talk little women by greta gerwig i saw this uh, a couple days after christmas with my parents and one of my brothers we did a little family trip to the cinema that's definitely you know it's definitely a good family pick for that sort of thing i would say so it's been you know almost a month now for me i guess since i saw it you just saw it a few days ago right so it should be fresher for you but uh i'll let you jump in first here what was your you already gave it away that it might even crack your top five of last year now so i'll say why then uh yes so i I have not read the novel. I know that I've seen the, like, 1994 version with Winona Ryder and Kirsten Dunst and then some adult actors playing the same characters. So this movie is just very effective on, on like, a bland emotional... Bland, not, not bland, but, like, a basic emotional level. Moment to moment, things like when, when you're supposed to feel sorry for characters, when you're supposed to be about to cry, you are feeling those things. So that works perfectly. But the way that she breaks apart the film and takes a story that is always been told in two separate halves of the story like them as children them as adults and the way she splices in the scene splices the scenes together um so that it is one cohesive story built from the two halves of the novel and i don't know i thought it was fucking brilliant i think the lighting and the way that like she positions the camera as she's running down the stairs on the two, two christmas scenes and the two scenes where like the one scene where spoiler alert she has she believes prayed her sister into health uh and the and then the next scene where she stayed up all night with her again and the sister has actually died and they've taken the body away and she wakes up just like in the bed just like wait what yeah it's i think it's the the first scene she comes down the sister on character comes down the mom t is at the table and it's like a pan 
the mom turns and smiles, and then the, the, the sister's there. That's right, the sister's downstairs. The second time, the mom turns and is crying, and obviously the sister's not there, she's dead. So yeah, that, that was very mm-hmm. effective, for sure. And even giving away, giving away in that first scene with Florence Pugh and uh, Timothy Chalamet, who is phenomenal in this, uh, as he is in mostly everything, I think. He has a way of acting like the most uncomfortable scenes and the most uncomfortable like body language in a way that seems perfectly natural and like it is like there was no other maneuver that his character could have made. I really like him. I think he's brilliant. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think specifically his like facial acting, I would say. I don't know if it's unique, but it's like really perfect, like more so than... Well, famously, that scene at the very end of Call Me By Your Name. Right, right. And that's where I really yeah, showcased yeah. it. But but even just his like, reactions to like everything in this film, I was noticing, yeah. Yeah, there's that scene in Call Me By Your Name that, that I think you've referenced in another one of these discussions that we were having, where like, the French girl that he was fucking like, comes to like ask him what the hell's going on, and he's clearly wearing the other guy's shirt and he starts like tucking it behind him just like right that's right waves his arms out like like i don't know <laughs> can't explain it <laughs> yeah no i think he's brilliant but the whole thing every choice that the gerwig makes in splitting this up like revealing in that first scene between uh, florence Pugh and uh, chalamet that, oh by the way this romance that you're going to see unfolding between sarah ronan's character and timothy chalamet like that's not going to happen this is doomed i don't know every choice she made paid off in a really like I don't know, it was satisfying. Yeah, I agree. I had never seen any of the films before. I maybe had seen a, a couple of scenes here and there of the Winona Ryder one. I also didn't know, did they They have different actors in that, like when they're older versus younger in that? Uh, yes. Okay, that's interesting, which is not the case in this one. Yeah, it's like Christian Bale and Winona Ryder, um, and then the two adults are people that I just don't know from other stuff. And yeah, so this, so I didn't really know anything about it. I even asked my, because I think both my parents had were were pretty familiar with the material. I asked them at the end of the film, was this like whole kind of meta narrative in the or in the original films or whatever? And they said no. No, it wasn't. And I kind of thought it wouldn't be, but I, I didn't know for sure. But basically, the whole part where she's like getting, uh, what's her name, Joe? Oh uh, yes, Saoirse Ronan. Yeah, getting her book. You know, trying to sell her book and everything and they do it they make it more or Gerwig makes it more that yeah meta basically with the whole ending and everything like that right so that that's a little more I guess 2019 or whatever but I thought that was effective too I liked it you know in addition to the splitting of the inner splicing of ever, of the past and future and all that yeah that was like wholly invented she's been on like on like the interview circuit very interested to talk like up front about how the movie like her interpretation of the text is largely about women's relationship to money and like financial and romantic autonomy those speeches are in the original text but the way that she cuts it and that yeah the, the specifically toward the very end with the selling the novel piece like yeah yeah um i don't know i thought everything that she thought that she wanted to do and in fact put into this film that made it to the final cut or whatever just worked perfectly there's absolutely no way that it wouldn't make my top five. I, I don't know. And I've always kind of stand for Gerwig. Like even, I, I don't know, I, even as an actress, like before she was truly collaborating with Bombeck, I, I don't know. She was a magnetic presence on screen and it doesn't surprise me that she is a brilliant director. There's something like purely artistic about her in a way that a lot of our celebrities, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't get exactly that from you. Like it's kind of hard to hear Quentin Tarantino talk sometimes, you know? 
Oh yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal. Honestly, I wish it was yeah. because obviously he's. I mean, he is one of my favorite directors. I was just gushing over uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again, and I I think he's a genius basically. But yeah, he's brutal to listen to talk a lot of the time. I haven't heard Gerwig talk that much, so I don't know if you know. I don't know if she is problematic in some ways too. You're seeming to say otherwise, but she just has like such a good. I feel flair for little moments i guess are like little little funny things that just work super well one example i thought was the scene where it's the wedding i guess and um with the meryl streep character aunt march is that the character's name <laughs> yeah the the older guy goes to ask her to dance and she turns him down and then chalamet goes and asks her and, and it's, it's just like a funny little scene and like i'm sure that wasn't in the book or whatever but it's it's just like a funny little thing like to just insert there. yeah that was perfect she has like a good way of making things like cinematic and real at the same time i don't know maybe i'm not explaining this well but well yeah and famously and like i've heard other people talk about this i'm not breaking any news she instructed the characters when they're like throwing themselves on couches or like sitting down on the moors like reflecting on the fight they just had you know sit like you would sit this isn't you know precisely a costume drama this is also about us and the lives that we live which is one of the things that makes it a little more effective than the Anna Karenina Pride and Prejudice, you know, Sense and Sensibility retellings, that a lot of which I'm very fond of. But this was just, like, doing something else that I was very interested in. My dad did mention, because we were talking about the film afterwards, my dad did say something about he thought she was, like, influenced by... He said she made it a little Jane austen I guess. I'm not really familiar with Jane Austen. Um, I don't think I've seen any of those films, but... A lot of them are pretty good. The Pride and Prejudice that everyone loves from 2004 is kind of a dog shit movie, but like the novels are great. Yeah, he was saying that he was seeing an influence from those type of movies with this one a little, so maybe that's something. I mean, it does have strong Merchant Ivory vibes, but they're, they're doing something completely different at so many, at so many like crucial yeah. junctures. And I thought really the, I don't know who the editor was, you usually don't know. Other than, like, Thelma Schoonmaker, which is uh, Scorsese's editor. I don't know the names of many ed- film editors, but whoever did this one, like, they deserve an Oscar for that, I think. I think it was probably the best edited film I'd seen last year. Yeah. I guess the Irishman was really good, too, but I thought it was impeccable, especially given the structure it took with the uh, backwards-forwards nature of, like, the past feature and all that stuff. The editing's not something I normally bring up that often, but I, I really noticed it in this one. And yeah, I think overall, the only reason I wouldn't put it in my top five, even though I heartily enjoyed it, is that it ultimately, even with the things Gerwig added structure-wise and with the meta-narrative and everything, it still wasn't, you compared to like Uncut Gems or Parasite or something, it's those like really, that's like really something different that you haven't seen before. And frankly, there was nothing in this that you haven't seen before, I would say. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. It's like a movie. It's like a capital M movie. You get the emotions out of it that you're expected to get. It's performed super well by everyone. It looks beautiful. All that stuff edited, like I said. But it's like a movie movie. It's not, you know, I don't know. But I'll definitely watch it again. I, and like to compare it to like Lady Bird, for example, I guess that's part, like that's kind of where I'm at too, where like... Lady Bird is also something you you have seen before as well, but it's personal to her, and it hit a lot of notes that were specific to 
you know, it's for maybe for me personally connect to more and like some things I hadn't necessarily seen were this is, you know, an adaptation of a famous thing that's been adapted 10 times or whatever. That's interesting. I feel slightly differently. I feel like both Lady Bird and Lil Women, I mean, obviously they come from a lineage of, of films that you can directly trace and you can like cite the names of movies that she was influenced by in, in making both. But each of them feel at the at the apex of their respective genres sort of sui generis. I don't know, man. I feel slightly differently than you. Okay. Well, that's fine. I want to get to our films from last decade that we caught up on here so a good transition of that from one of mine at least will be what something we didn't really talk about too much which was the performance of Florence Pugh as Amy March is that the character I believe that's correct she's phenomenal in this I mean she basically stole the movie I would say she did I don't know you hear people talking who, who have actually read the novel which i haven't saying that she has brought things to this character she and this telling have brought things to this character that they didn't see in the novel and amy's sort of like a an irredeemable brat yeah florence Pugh is just great in this yeah she is i think she deserves to win best supporting actress i don't i'm not can't, i don't know if she's even nominated i think she is but but yeah that's another thing my my dad said or I think both my parents agreed like because they were familiar with the source material more they I think yeah my dad especially was like blown away by her performance and was like oh have you seen her in other stuff who is this person so I was like oh yeah Midsommar let me tell you about a film called Midsommar I don't know if you like that dad but you know that's good but yeah like they were saying she definitely brought a lot to the role that's not necessarily there in the original stuff so yeah. the year of Pew. She does this like very perfect bit of line reading when Joe is trying to get Timothy Lawrence's Laurie invited to their like attic club or whatever, where she like she brings it up and Amy, while all the characters are talking over each other, is is in the foreground saying, Absolutely not. He's a real boy. And like that line reading especially sticks out at me. Yeah, I remember that. Ah oh, yeah. god, she's fucking great. Yeah. And then yeah. he jumps out of like the closet or whatever, that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, also, uh, last thing about, I guess, last uh, last take from my parents here. My mom was down on Dern. She didn't let, she didn't care for her performance as Marmy. She doesn't get a lot to do. She really gets to act in about one scene. Yeah, I liked her. I mean, I, I thought she did a good job. I don't know why my mom didn't. I think she had some, she didn't like her take on the character for some reason. I'm not sure why, but and that's some, a comment she made. But, but yeah, apparently it is like that. Obviously, it's kind of based on a real-life thing, that character, and, like, there were, at during that time... Like, literally the author's mom. Yeah, and during that time period of, like, reconstruction or whatever, there was, like, a lot of people that were, that acted like she did, kind of, and, like, sa- and kind of, like, sacrificed their own children for, like, other people or whatever. Yeah. Just, like, a good thing in theory, or can be, but obviously you saw, like, in the plot of the, the story, it doesn't work out well, you know, especially considering the girl... Her daughter dies getting what scarlet fever what we mentioned from those other people that they're trying to take care of or whatever right yeah the only things i can say in defense are that like it's not a marmy film she's not one of the titular little women and laura dern really i don't know i feel like she does the best with the material but like when laura dern's in a movie to me it's just so that she can be laura dern and it usually works well like marriage story she was great she was kind of hateable a little bit but Obviously, it's a character. She did a great job. Yeah, she's just a calming presence. 
which is like largely what that character gets to do except for that one real conversation she has with joe yeah i think that's what my what my mom did on leg or something actually i think i don't know though my, my mom's not definitely not a film critic or anything um so well i mean it makes perfect sense too your mom's reading the film from the perspective of like being a mother of adult children yeah i guess um, so. just like my mom didn't really do anything in this movie like it would make sense to me if she was just like yeah i don't know sticking on that yeah but i think it was about the performance not the character because she was familiar with the yeah yeah okay but anyway that was quite a tangent i wanted to bring the transition i wanted was about florence Pugh. let's do this because yeah 2019 was was the year of Pugh, in my opinion i might give her the award of like breakout of the year with midsommar and little women the film i had been meaning to watch for a while that i had heard is good for a few years now and i never got around to seeing is a film from 2016 called lady macbeth which has nothing to do with Shakespeare or, you know, the character Lady Macbeth. I think it's a an allusion to just death and destructive force. So I'm finding that out now. But yes, no, it, but this stars Florence Pugh, I guess, in her first real big role, starring role. And you could see from this, obviously I went backwards on this and saw her two bigger films first and then and now just caught up with this one. But you could definitely tell from this performance here in Lady Macbeth that, yeah, this is someone that's probably going to be a star given the opportunity which she obviously has gotten now so this is so have you even heard of um it? i've heard of it but to the extent that as i just said i just found out that it has nothing to do with the <laughs> yeah. scottish play no it doesn't so uh, yes yeah, so i'll just give it a brief setup um it takes place in england in i would say l- probably early 1800s or so maybe late 1700s early 1800s something like that so like right off the bat we're not doing Macbeth, yeah go on yes uh it's not not in skyland florence Pugh plays like a young essentially young like 17 year old girl or something that gets married to you know a landowner guy or the son of this of this rich guy she basically is like told to like stay in the house all the time or doesn't can't really go anywhere the guy she married she's married to is like doesn't really like her doesn't he's kind of just like a miserable person in general this film existed already, and it's called The Duchess, starring Keira Knightley, but go on. Okay. Well, I haven't seen that. But yeah, I mean, I think this sort of thing is probably what happened a lot in real life anyway. But not to give too much away, but basically she rebels in a way. Well, she also, the the husband leaves for a while, and then his father, who's like owns the whole estate, also, they basically both leave at the same time for the first time, and she has like a little more latitude or freedom to do what she wants since they're gone and she kind of gets involved with a like a farmhand around the, a property like a new guy that was hired on as like a helper again this is just the duchess but continue okay so starts having an affair with this guy basically and it just goes from there and then she does do they have a child together that she's forced to give up no sorry i'm, I'm sorry go on no they do not have a child together lady Macbeth. it's called that i think because in the shakespeare play right lady Macbeth kind of incites a lot of death and uh, murder essentially and then in this film that's kind of similar to what happens like her actions basically cause more murder essentially um and it gets it gets like worse and worse basically in terms of who the victims are or who gets hurt over or you know what i mean so like you don't... I'm, I'm kind of spoiling it. I mean, she they killed... The first one they kill is the father. 
poisons his breakfast basically yeah yeah and then it kind of goes from there so that one you're like oh well this guy's a dickhead anyway like you don't really feel bad for it but then with everything that happens uh, there starts being worse things basically but yeah it's not super heavy on plot or anything that basically is the plot but it's shot very well like the cinematography is really beautiful in this too there's a lot of like still kind of moments like shots and it's just who directed that do you know uh, let me look it up real quick I, it's not someone who's done a whole lot i don't believe um i wasn't familiar with the guy i believe he's a british guy i want to say um william oldroy directed it he's from london yeah so he is british looks like he hasn't done a whole lot else but uh yeah he's done a, a couple other films that i've never heard of but this is his biggest one i guess hasn't uh, released anything since then which was 2016 it's yeah this is the type of film that's basically down to the performances i mean there's also a maid kind of character that factors in as well and the performance from that actress is good too but um it's definitely florence Pugh's film and she yeah it's kind of a little bit of an enigmatic performance i guess at first like the setup seems very traditional of like a woman that's like you know the patriarchy angle and everything and like one that's like restrained and has to only do one thing or is like more of an object basically than a person right and then what happens when she starts making her own decisions basically and like where it leads to and then you're kind of like thinking by the end of it how cognizant is this character of what she's actually doing and the problem she's causing and like does she even care that all these people are dead basically and like what right i guess i don't want to spoil it entirely and give away the ending if i did do that i would maybe be able to get my point across a little better about the enigmatic nature of it but i i won't do that so i want people to watch this but but yeah it's definitely like a, the character piece kind of thing like this and yeah i can like i said already i can see where why she's like such a good actress and why you know why she's probably gonna be a big star if she's already kind of is but it'd be a name probably a name household name sort of thing and yeah this is kind of where it started it seems like so yeah and then i'm just gonna mention it for a minute you know just we'll get to get to your pick but please another film that i had been meaning to watch for a long time even longer than lady Macbeth came out before i think in 2013 under the skin the film starring scarlett johansson where she plays like an alien essentially you find out we're going with Johansson for her. Johansson, I don't. Did I say Johansson? <laughs> I'm pretty much fucking with you, but I think I think we do a hard J on that. Okay, so Scarlett Johansson. Look, she'll play a tree if she wants to. That's her thing, right? <laughs> um, but uh, in this one, she plays an alien, and this take this takes place in Scotland actually. Uh, to get it's not based on the Scottish play either, but it takes place in Scotland. And you have seen this. You said, I think, or you don't recall. Yeah, I saw it when it came out. I recall being very interested in it, and it was maybe the first thing that I'd seen her do, where I was like, oh, okay, she's an actor. This was good. Yeah, yeah, very good performance. Leaves it all on the table, for sure, in this one. You know what? That came out the same year as her. I was very fond of her that year. Okay. Uh, of, of this actor that year, I should say. Yeah, no, no, uh, not I was very fond of the, the movie here. Yeah, I mean, she has an interesting career, I guess, because, like, she's doing, like, Avengers that same year, too, I think, like, the first or second Avengers, so. Yeah, so, um, that was one I've been meaning to watch for a long time, and, you know, I don't know why I held off 
who knows why you don't you, you don't get around to something but that has even less plot i would say than lady macbeth but it, it is similar in a lot of ways i think um with one kind of main character that comes into people's life and like changes it essentially and is like also kind of enigmatic and a lot of like silences throughout the whole film and everything a lot of the the scenery and a lot of the shots are look gorgeous looking but static this one under the skin had more of a soundtrack thing going on certainly a lot of time spent in and around a van yes and then literally a lot of black void action i guess you would call it <laughs> so yeah like so those two you i would say you could even do like a some type of like double feature of these two films lady Macbeth and under the skin and get a lot of the same things out of it i think it would be a good pair or as listeners may be more familiar with by their common names the duchess circa 2011 starring Keira knightley and invasion of the booty snatchers <laughs> both recommends from you right strong rock yeah no both those films are pretty good all right well uh speaking of films that you may think are good what was your i mean this was my idea to basically task us and you with um you know picking a, a film from the past decade you've been meaning to watch hadn't got around to you yet and so you've done it what what was your pick for this so the new pope just came out and i was thinking about how much i loved paolo sorrentino sorrentino's first season of the young pope and how much i loved his film the great beauty and how much like i didn't pay much attention to um great italian directors then i started thinking about a great italian director that i do love luca guadagnino whose films i am love uh bigger splash and you already mentioned one of them this importantly episode. call me by your name yeah. I have very much responded to. Uh, I don't know. I think he's brilliant. I think that all of his collaborators, the way that he sets up a scene, all the colors that he gets in the frame, and just the like exquisite performances he gets out of great actors like Tilda Swinton, Ray Fiennes, Timothy Chalamet, and you know some mediocre actors like Dakota Johnson. Oh wow! Shots heavily fired at Dakota. Wow. Uh, she's working hard, I think. Meanwhile, I couldn't get through a bigger splash. I turned it off. I just couldn't finish it. <laughs> but. I loved that movie. And I haven't seen, I Am, is it I Am Love? Is it the first, his first one? That's what it's called? Oh, uh, yes. Haven't seen that yet. I, and Call Me By Your Name, I did like. But um, but yeah, so you're obviously then, the film you watched is Suspiria 2018, right? Which is just like, it seems to me like a total left turn from him. Until I started thinking about how intense and cryptic upsetting parts of bigger splash where he could remake a very very well-known classic horror film and this is one that was like i've not seen the original but it seems like from what i read about it it was kind of begging for a remake because the plot makes absolutely no sense but it's like uh it's well regarded for like being beautiful and unnerving i was about to ask you i had assumed you hadn't but yes i will say that it is interesting because i i so i've seen both of these and I'll just talk about the original for just a second Please. for a minute here before you get into your whole review of the new one. But so the, the Argento one is from the late 70s. It is true, like it doesn't have much plot at all or not not one that makes sense. It's definitely way more of a... You've used the term tone poem before, which is like kind of a, a film critic term, I guess. Or like, well, it's a music criticism term but, term, but yeah, film critics use it as well. Go on, go okay, on, I'm sorry. So, okay, that's what it's from. So... The original Suspiria is that, in a way, it's like a mood piece, basically. Um, it's got a crazy soundtrack from this band called Goblin that like, takes over the whole film and puts you like in a 
kind of a state of like heightened uh yeah I mean, it's worse for the horror basically the cinematography everything like the it's basically very dreamlike overall the original suspiria with little plot that makes sense and it has some of the argento elements of like giallo elements i've talked about giallos before but he's like one of the primogenitors of this style of film uh, which is like kind of like an Italian slasher film. And now Suspiria is not as slasher as some of his other ones, but there is still elements of that. It does feature, uh, I'm aware, a close-up of a knife going into an open, open beating heart. But yeah, not so much as... Yeah, so there are, there are still elements like that. But this is more... Some of his other films are more... They are things that could theoretically happen, even though the style is very heightened, you know, a serial killer or a killer killing people. But Suspiria has the supernatural element, basically. But that's not really explained where it is explained more in, the, in Guadagnino's film. But all of this to say that I think it's interesting that Guadagnino's other films are more of the tone poemy thing sort of thing, you know. Yeah. Whereas Suspiria 2018 is like kind of not that. It's like it's explained way more of what's going on than it does in the um the original film gets way more into like the dance group and the witches and everything like that or whatever they are. Yeah, witches, right? So that's why it's interesting that he was the director to to do that because you're right this is the sort of film where he could be like yeah let me let me do a remake of this and ex- kind of explain things and flesh things out more i wouldn't have expected him to be the one to do that based on his other work but that is what happened so yeah but yeah so take it away um on your other your other thoughts yeah no it does like so the original film is allegedly is i have heard i should say full of just like lush color and like unnerving scenery and this one doesn't really do that it mutes a lot of the painter's palette because the film is set among several several other themes what it is touching is like the 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 shame and pain of germany post world war ii and what that does to like an entire society but it, it mutes a lot of those colors and what it does in instead is build out this weird arcane very confusing and i've just said the word arcane so like that that's redundant plot about this witch coven and like a retreat from patriarchy but an overreach of power among themselves when they do get a cloistered society that's ruled by women and and the way that they abuse the girls in their power and like just all of these things and it, it it weaves so many spider webs to so many different plots visually what it does is combine that all with these like three different dance scenes one where (laughs) one which is really unnerving where the dancer is like magically like hexed or whatever to be delivering all the like painful like twists and turns that she is temporarily doing with her body um permanently to the bones and and body of of another dancer that one's brutal to watch that was really upsetting (laughs) It was not great, man. And and then the performance, of course, of the of the piece that they've been rehearsing this whole time, which is itself part of a ritual, I think. And then the the dancing at the very end, which is arms and naked bodies waving as part of a ritual. But what it sets up with those three like brilliantly staged, beautiful dance pieces is this really upsetting, unnerving, just like constantly questioning plot that it kind of goes out of its way to over explain. But in a way that still leaves you like, you're guessing until 
the very end, like, you know what themes it's trying to hit. But as far as, like, actual plot, you are still, like, baffled in a good way. It's like we recently had this conversation, so it's been on my mind. But it gives me mad Evangelion vibes where there's, like, the, the conflict between, like, the secret, mm. the secret society that yeah. wants what it wants out of a certain situation. And Tilda Swinton, the, the character who is setting up the ritual, but does not believe in the mission of the, like, secret society that she's working for. And at the very end, you know, it's... I don't know. I think it's really great how at the very end you can read it. Either the, the Dakota Johnson character, um, Susie something. It's Susie because that's the, um, that's the name of the character. In the yeah, ones, you yeah. can either read that as her just knowing that something weird is going to happen and that she's ready for it because she wants to be so much a part of this or knowing already that she has become <laughs> the spirit that they're trying to summon and that she needs to go through with this... Uh, and lose her own humanity to become, like, the spirit of death or whatever that's happening in that final, like, weird, absurd, unsettling scene where people are just, like, exploding into, like, pillars of blood uh, and guts. And, ah, yeah. it is long scene, such too, a confounding yeah. movie. Yeah, it takes so long. And then there's that beautiful part at the end where the girls that the other witches have been torturing um, and, like, trying to keep alive specifically for this purpose. She's like, I'm, 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 I'm so sorry. Uh, what do you want? And they all ask her to kill her. And she gives them like this, this beautiful chaste little kiss on the cheek. And they all like crumple no longer in their physical bodies. Man, this movie 10 degrees either direction into like seriousness or silliness. And I feel like it would suck. But I lost my fucking mind watching this movie. I think it's brilliant. Though it's not like the next project I would have picked for Luca Guadagnino after Bigger Splash and Call Me By Your Name. The perfect project for him in a way. Uh, no, dude, I'm I'm so upset that I didn't see this like in a theater in 2018. So you have the regret over that. You wish it wouldn't have qualified for my assignment. Basically. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I wish I had already seen this and had been thinking about it ever since. It is interesting what you say about like 10 degrees one way or the other. I think it didn't hit right for a lot of people or critics because it's not like a super well reviewed film i don't believe i think it's sitting in more of like a 60 percent sort of thing positive to negative so it tries so hard to put a finger on so many different themes that a lot of critics were just like oh fuck you which i understand and the first one is kind of a revered film so that is always going to be tough as well i guess um, well it's like a revered film where the plot just like quits three-fourths of the way through and it's just about the visuals i did appreciate from this that it did explain things more and the original one's super short compared to this this is like a long a pretty long film if i remember it's over two hours right it's nearly three it's like it's more than two and a half yeah, honestly, I didn't mind seeing this one at home where I could take a break or two, um, where, yeah, especially after some of the, maybe the more uh, long sequences or brutal parts. And I'm just trying to remember, I watched this one maybe around this time last year, I would say, probably is when I caught up on it, maybe, maybe about 10 months ago or so. And I think I probably did watch it in like two halves, maybe. But the other thing I want to touch on about it is the the Swinton of it all, right? This is maybe the most <laughs> the most Swinton-y move of all time where she literally plays not obviously one of the main character witches, but she also plays a man, an old man who and is completely unrecognizable. So doing a double role Yep. Which is just 
with a voice that just no grown man has ever had in his life. Also, <laughs> you know, she plays three characters. She is also Helena Marcos. Right, one of the gross-looking... Oh, yeah, that's but at least that's, like, monster-looking thing almost. For This is just, like, her playing. Yeah. And, like, I wonder if it's, like, a sort of thing where she's, like, yeah, Gaudigny and y'all be in this, in this film for you if you, like... Obviously, they have a working relationship already, but maybe she's, like... Yeah, I'll do this remake or whatever, but I gotta play this. I gotta do this too, right? I'm playing all these characters. I don't know if that's... Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's like how it went down. But. I'll do this movie if you let me wake up at 3 a.m. and spend eight hours a day in makeup to play these two other characters. Yeah, and most actors, I think, would not like that, but I don't think... I think she's before done like a something in a museum where she was like sleeping in like a, a cage or something for a week or something. So she's obviously into that. Yes. <laughs> this sort of crazy shit. But God, she's so great. I love Tilda Swinton so yeah, much. Yeah, she's definitely unique. But yeah, so I guess I would say you liked this more than I did, even though I did. I did like it overall. Um, I wouldn't say that it. I haven't thought about it too much. I guess since I did see it though, or I I don't know. Yeah. 2018 was a bit of a down year for movies. It was. It might have yeah. hit my top 10 if I had seen it in 2018. Yeah, I was kind of looking back on that too. I think 2019 was was very strong. I think 2017 was pretty strong. Um, yeah, 2018 was a little down, but um, but uh, yeah. 2017 and 2019, both great years for films. For sure. But back to Suspiria 2018, anything else that you want to throw out about it or yeah, anything else about it? I just want to point out a through line between this and Lil Women, um, which are two truly excellent films that I like vibed with so much that I found so much in that feature one at the very center and one just at the edge of the center, two terrible performances by two like mediocre actresses, Emma Watson in Lil Women, who just I, she doesn't deserve to be on film. She's not good. I could replace her with so many other actresses. Her role was, I think, supposed to be played by Emma Stone, which would have been just like, Emma Stone's a great actor. Oh, really? It might have been nice to have Un-American in there, since it is an American story, but, you know, yeah. fine. And Dakota Johnson, who is kind of a nothing burger in, in both In A Bigger Splash yeah. and in Suspiria. I don't know. A bad performance doesn't have to kill a movie. Both those movies are great. And I wouldn't even say Emma Watson gave a bad performance in Little Women. She's obviously outclassed on the screen with Saoirse Ronan and Florence Pugh. It's not necessarily a fair thing because I consider those two, like, two of the best working actors right now. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And obviously her role, they did put her in the role that's not as crucial as... At least of the way this film went. It's a little bit of a smaller role. I do agree. I would have rather seen someone... I don't know. Stone seems kind of weird, but maybe another unknown. Like how the other... The fourth sister was kind of an unknown actress, I think. Maybe. Yeah, if we spend 30 minutes thinking about it, we could think of 30 other actors who could have played that part better. Yeah, I'm sure we could. I don't think Emma Watson is a good actor. I don't either, ultimately. And I've never liked her before, but... I don't blame her as much in this one. I, I don't know. It, it didn't ruin it for me or anything. No, no. That, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Dakota Johnson in Suspiria was fine to me. I didn't think she did a bad job, I guess. I don't Just a bit wooden. She's kind of playing a standoffish character and to begin with, I would say. So in that regard, I think she can do that 
kind of like one note thing. Maybe if a different actor would have done it a different way and made it more dynamic or something. But I did think that character is kind of supposed to be like that, I would say. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. But you had some other point where you're leading to something when by bringing those two up or? Uh, no, that was kind of my conclusion. Okay. So you got to end on a, a negative note, huh? You Fine, I'll end on a positive. Luca Guadagnino is like a top 20 director working. I love him. All his films are great. You're a Guadagnino head over here. You're you're one of uh, Guadagnino's ninos. Yeah, you're one of his uh, sons. <laughs> That's right. And I'm trying to look up right now because I was curious to see what he's got in the pipe here. I don't see, uh, I guess I'll go to his IMDb. I don't... Uh, Hopefully he'd be do something. He'd be doing something, like, soon. This came out over a year ago. Yeah, he's got... Oh, he's filming some TV miniseries right now. Oh. And he's on pre-production on a film called Blood on the Tracks, which is the name of a Bob Dylan album. I don't know if this is some type of Bob Dylan movie. Probably is. We're doing a lot of Bob Dylan recently. Yeah, it says a feature. There's very little info on IMDb about this. The only person cast is Chloe Grace Moretz, and it's the synopsis as a feature film based on Bob Dylan's 1975 album Blood on the Track. So who knows what this is gonna really be? But uh, yeah, all right. Well, you'll. I'm sure it'll be one of your favorite films of 2021 or whenever that comes out. So almost certainly. Um, yeah, but that's about gonna do it for us today on Movies Are Relevant. Another good discussion, I thought. But uh, we should be back next month with a new topic to be announced. Probably Oscar shit, right? Maybe. I mean, I do... I, I will say, I don't know if we need to do another whole Oscar-based episode. A lot of this one and last month's one, we did talk about a lot of the films that were that are probably going to be in the mix. So Yeah, yeah. I want to do different topics with these coming up, but, but I'm sure we'll definitely still touch on it. But uh, yeah, but we'll see. Yeah, so do you stay subscribed to Brooklyn Rebound Network or get subscribed if you're not? You know, check out some of our other uh, episodes. Like I kind of mentioned before, me and Enam have a, which should be out on the feed now, a little Kobe retrospective and gave our thoughts on that unfortunately tragic event. And there's other good episodes as well on there. So check that out. Check out my YouTube channel, Drew's Views, for some good TV reactions and for an Evangelion podcast that's on there in two parts right now. So you definitely want to check that out. If, like me and Eric, you enjoy Neon Genesis Evangelion, the classic anime, uh, anything else you want to throw out, Eric? No, I do have to say that Ava podcast was just brilliant. Whoever you had <laughs> guesting on that, just, just mm. what an absolute genius. What a what a beautiful mensch. But no, <laughs> this is the only thing I do. Yes, I think I had already just said that you were the guest on it, so you kind of... <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. didn't quite work, but maybe I didn't. But yes, you are. It is me and you talking on that. So yeah, check that one out. Join us back next time for some more film discussion. And until then... Don't catch that scarlet fever, but do catch some hot films, and we're out of here. Peace.
Boys Productions.